I'd like to begin with two passages of Scripture. And the first is Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, and it says this, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the second passage is found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And Paul, writing to the Colossians, says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, one of the key distinctives of the believer is that the believer has the presence of the Spirit of Christ in them. That's what distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever. This seems to be the undeniable teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 when he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, Romans 8 and verse 9. The new life we experience is the life of the Spirit of Christ in us. And Paul told the Corinthians that this life of the Spirit was the guarantee of their inheritance as children of God when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. What is it that proves that you belong to Jesus Christ if it is not the fact that the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you and there is evidence of a life in you that is not of the flesh and that that life draws you to Christ. That life empowers you in his service. That life transforms your character. Now, admittedly, the life of Christ may or may not be evident as much at one time as, as another. But if you do not demonstrate in your character or your actions any evidence of the Spirit of Christ in you, then you and I, we need to ask ourselves if we really belong to him. If our life is no different from that of an unbeliever, then we need to seriously seek the Lord and ask him why. You see, this is the essence of what Paul told the Corinthians when he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And he repeats the same thought when he tells the Galatians, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new 
creation, a new creation. The new life of the Spirit in us is our guarantee of salvation. Understand this. Anyone can change their behavior or, or, or turn over a new leaf. That's not what we're talking about here. The guarantee of our salvation is in the person of the Spirit of Christ who lives within us. He is our guarantee. It is His work that has transformed us. And we know that we belong to Him because He is in us and He is shaping us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let's return to the passage we read at the beginning. Galatians 3 and verse 2. Let me ask you only this, says Paul. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Galatians 3 and verse 2. Paul Ask the Galatians here a very important question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now understand that Paul, that for Paul the Apostle, there was no salvation apart from the Spirit of Christ, and in those who did not have the Spirit of Christ did not belong to him. So in essence, what Paul is asking is this. How did you come to experience the life of Christ in you? How did you come to become a new creation? And the apostle goes on to describe two possible answers to this question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Either they received new life in Christ by their faithful observance of the law of God or they received this new life as a gift through faith in what Jesus Christ had done for them on the cross. Now, there are many religions that teach that we can attain to enlightenment and new life by our efforts and our discipline. And under this philosophy, we can, by our diligent efforts, become good enough that God will accept us. But this is not the teaching of Scripture. The Bible teaches that we, that all of our good works are stained with sin. And not one of us can ever be good enough to merit the salvation of God. Salvation, then, is a free gift that comes through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul taught when he says in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord salvation as a free gift. He says the same thing five times in this next passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, when he says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Five times repeating that phrase, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. The teaching of Scripture is clear that we receive the life of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in us as a free gift. We did not merit this salvation. We were sinners with a sinful nature that, that we could not change. And the prophet Jeremiah declares this in Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. You see, we can't change our natural state. We were sinners and, and couldn't change that any more than a tree could spout rings and fly away. Not one of us was good enough to go to heaven. All of us were born with a sinful nature. We could do nothing to save ourselves. Our salvation has nothing to do with us. We cannot take any credit for our forgiveness. I owe everything to Jesus Christ and his mercy. He reached down to me when I could do nothing. He offered me forgiveness when I did not deserve it. And some of us, like the Apostle Paul, wanted nothing to do with him when he reached down to us, forgave our sins, and transformed our lives. And in an instant, our lives were changed. We were born again. We experienced a new life of Christ in us. And as we look back to see what would took place that, that day, we recognize that it was all from God. He took the initiative to pursue us. He reached out to us. He broke my resistance. He put his spirit in me. He forgave me, and he transformed my life. Now, having established that we did not receive this life of the spirit by being good enough, but as a gift— Paul goes on to the second question, and here's what he says. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? Notice what Paul be, how Paul begins this question. Are you so foolish? And by saying this, Paul, Paul should not even need to Ask this question. Its answer is so clear that even asking seems to be foolish to him. But the problem, however, is that what should be so obvious to us is so often hidden from us and so often escapes us. The essence of Paul's question is this. If the flesh is sinful, do you really think that you can serve God in the flesh? If the flesh cannot please God, do you really think that you can honor him by your fleshly efforts? Listen to what the apostle told the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The mind that is set on the flesh, says Paul, is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, and in fact, it cannot submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh and those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. These are strong, strong words. But writing to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the apostle says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for the, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are opposed to each other. If you desire, if the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and opposed to the Spirit, do we honor God by attempting to serve Him in the flesh? Will the flesh even allow us to serve God, a God it opposes? What we need to understand here is that the flesh did not change when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul made this clear in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 when he says this, For I know, says Paul, that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out, because the flesh does not desire the things of God. And Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 to say this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Even the great apostle Paul struggled with his flesh. Romans 7, 18 to 20, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For if I do not the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, even as a believer." Paul speaks about the sinful flesh that dwelt within him that he needed to die to on a regular basis. Though he knew the desires of the flesh in him, he also experienced the abundant presence of the Spirit of Christ leading and directing him and giving him victory over that flesh. Paul is telling the Galatians here that just as they could not come to Christ by their fleshly efforts, neither could they serve Jesus Christ through these fleshly efforts and wisdom. The flesh, according to Paul, is incapable of honoring God. It is sinful. Its ways are not the ways of God. And just as you need the work of God's Spirit to save you, so you need that same work to enable you to live for Jesus Christ. Your human wisdom is insufficient. Your fleshly efforts cannot please Him. You must be led and directed by the Spirit of Christ if you are to honor Him and live as He intense. Now, the second passage that we read at the beginning 
was from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. And, he, and here Paul says to the Colossians, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You received him as a little child. Not that you received him when you were a little child, but you received him with the attitude of a little child, incapable of saving yourself. You trusted him to do what you could not do. You did not come believing that you could save yourself, nor do we come thinking that our wisdom and strength can accomplish the task. We walk as little children, totally dependent on the Spirit of Christ. We recognize that His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we do not presume that that we know the way, but we cling to Him for direction. We know the weakness of the flesh, and so we draw near to Him for His strength. We live as a little child in absolute dependence upon His wisdom, upon His strength, upon His enabling. But not only do we come as a little child, we come by faith in him and his leading. See, when you came to Jesus Christ, you did not have all the answers. You heard the conviction of the Spirit in your heart, and you listened to a voice that was not even audible to your ears. You responded by faith in a God that you did not see. You offered your life, not knowing what that implied, but trusting in him for everything, you surrender completely and totally into his arms. So much of Christian ministry today could be learned in a business college. We have leaders with education, experience, and great human wisdom. But do we have leaders who are like children, like little children, who understand that the flesh counts for nothing, who count less on education and experience and more on the spirit, who trust his leading more than their experience? Have we actually come to believe that while we cannot save ourselves in the flesh, that same sinful flesh is able to mature us in our walk with Christ? Do we believe that what was born by the Spirit and faith is now now depends on the flesh to mature? The Christian life is conceived in faith, but it also matures in faith. We can no more live the Christian life in the flesh than we can save ourselves by our fleshly efforts. What begins as a work of God's Spirit must also proceed and end as a work of His Spirit. The surest way to fail in the Christian life is to do the best you can, because the best you can will always fall short. Doing the best you can will not save your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Just as none of us are saved by doing the best we can, neither is our Christian life about doing the best we can. It is a life empowered by the Spirit of God in those who are incapable in themselves. It is a life controlled by the Spirit of God in those who have surrendered fully to Him. It is a life directed by the Spirit of God in those who have chosen to die 
to their fleshly ways. The Spirit who saved us by faith will also empower us as we live by faith. As you have received Him, so walk in Him, says the Word of God. As you received Him, like a little child, totally dependent on Him, understanding fully that you are incapable in yourself, but trusting in Him, surrender to Him, yielding to Him, offering yourself to Him, and allowing Him to flow through you, ministering in you and through you for the glory of Christ. Christ.